Hey guys, I'd like to introduce you to a new podcast that I know you're going to love. Do you like travel? Do you like picturesque locations and getting away from it all? Well, this new podcast has all that and murder. It's called Slaycation, and it's a darkly humorous look at murders and mysterious deaths that took place on vacation. Hosted by a true crime fanatic, her comedy writer husband and his TV producing partner, Slaycation brings a unique perspective to chilling, thrilling, and WTF stories of vacations gone horribly wrong. From the twisted tale of Harold and Tony Henthorne, whose romantic anniversary in the Rocky Mountains ended with one of them falling off a cliff, to Angelica and Vincent, two recently engaged lovebirds whose Hudson Valley kayaking adventure ended underwater. Each episode of Slaycation will have you asking, accident or murder? But it's not just the stories that'll intrigue you. It's the discussion between a longtime married couple and business partners who happen to be Emmy-nominated TV producers. Each episode of Slaycation also includes humor, takeaway and travel tips that will keep your next vacation from being your last. If you're ready to pack your body bags, Slaycation is available on all major podcast platforms. Search for Slaycation on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Morgan Rector, host of the Human Monsters True Crime Podcast. Do you find life boring within the comfort zone? This is the right show for you. It will test your endurance. The offenders profiled are among the most inhumane. These people specialize in the unthinkable. Human Monsters, available wherever you get your podcasts. God forbid a child or a loved one were ever to be abducted. You'd hope that a rescue would come swiftly and a punishment for the abductor to be severe. Statistically, chances are it will never happen to anyone you know. However, as these stories on this list will show, being abducted can happen to anyone in any place, regardless of how safe a town may feel. When the child is held for months or even years... Their stories can be utterly terrifying. Welcome, guys, to our exclusive Patreon-only patrons video episode. Hope you enjoy this one. Here are five victims rescued from horrifying abductions. Number five, Lazan Williams. In the sunny town of Alejo, California... 17-year-old Daphne Boyden, a dedicated high school student and young mother, was trying to carve out a better life for herself and her six-week-old son, Lazon Williams, the child she had with rising rap star, Latham Williams. On May 17, 1996, Daphne's grandmother, Reva, was getting ready for her regularly scheduled bingo game when two unfamiliar teenage girls approached her home wasn't anything to be alarmed about. And at the door, the duo asked to see Daphne and Lazan, and although Reva didn't recognize them, Daphne appeared to when she came to the front of the house. And seeing no immediate threat, Reva left, and it's something she would regret for the rest of her life. 
Because within the hour, Reva received a distressing call from a neighbor, alarming her that her house was on fire. Rushing back, Reva was greeted by a grim sight. Not only was her house reduced to ashes, but her granddaughter, Daphne, was dead. A victim of a deliberate blaze being set after receiving a fatal gunshot wound. And worse yet, baby Lazan was nowhere to be found. The shocking scene quickly caught the attention of the community and news outlets. Authorities concluded that the two unidentified girls had played a sinister role in the whole ordeal. They immediately became the prime suspects in Daphne's murder and Lazan's abduction. Despite the overwhelming suspicions, though, police had few leads. Reva didn't remember much about the girls. She never thought she had to and only saw them briefly. And so the identity of the two young girls remain a mystery. But people wanted answers. The gruesome event sparked outrage within the community as people didn't feel like it was being looked into enough by authorities. People filled the streets a memorial of Daphne's life, demanding justice for the brutal act. And slowly, eyewitness accounts then began to trickle in. A neighbor, for example, had spotted the girls arriving at Daphne's house with a black tote bag containing rope. Later, they were seen fleeing from the burning house, carrying with them what was believed to be Lezan concealed in a bundle. Just ten months prior to this tragedy, Lathan, Lezan's father, had been attacked and shot in the head during a robbery attempt. He survived, luckily, but a suspect was arrested and convicted, so... Could this be some sort of revenge from the man who was sent to jail? In the shadows, as past threats lingered, other rumors began circulating about girls threatening Daphne, coveting her relationship with Lathan, and wanting baby Lazan for themselves. Quickly, things died down, and that would be it for the case for the next six years. But it broke open in December of 2002 when a tip possibly sparked by a rebroadcast of the story that authorities to a house just two miles away from the original crime scene. Inside, if you can believe it, they found Lazan living with 22-year-old Latasha Brown and Oceanetta Williams, both of whom were unrelated to Lathan Williams. The grim puzzle now began to be pieced together. Latasha, you see, was Lathan's ex-girlfriend. She was arrested, along with Oceanata, for their connection to the abduction and Daphne's murder. Latasha's mother, Dolores, was also arrested for child concealment and served a year in prison for that. In a shocking twist, Oceanata turned against her friend, agreeing to testify against Latasha in return for a lighter sentence. As a result, she was given a 13-year sentence for her part in the crimes, Natasha was found guilty of murder in 2004 and sentenced to 37 years to life in prison. In a bittersweet ending, Lazan was finally reunited with his family a few weeks after he was found. And tragically, his father, Lathan, couldn't be there for the reunion as he was serving a 12-year sentence for armed robbery, though he was released in 2010. Whether or not he has taken the boy under his care now is unknown. So, even though justice was served here, it took years and caused irreparable damage to a family, forever marking the life of a young boy who was caught in the crossfire of adult vengeance. Hopefully, 
He's able to grow up and live as normal life as he can. Number four, Ethan Gilman. In the heart of southern Alabama, nestled in quaint Dale County, a chilling narrative began to unfold on January 29th of 2013. It's a story that revolves around an unlikely villain, 65-year-old Vietnam vet Jimmy Lee Dykes. While many remembered Dykes as an ordinary friend and neighbor, beneath this facade lay a man struggling with thoughts of paranoia and fear. On that fateful January afternoon, Dykes essentially exploded like the ticking time bomb he was. Just after 3.30 p.m., his children were setting into their usual bus ride home. Dykes approached and boarded the Dale County bus, carrying with him a loaded Ruger handgun. The bus driver, 66-year-old Charles Pullen Jr., stood as the only barrier between Dykes and the innocent children. Dykes told him he wanted to take two of the kids with him. He pointed out a six- and eight-year-old, both of whom were boys, and told them that if he didn't let him, he'd shoot him. With bravery surging through his veins, Pullen refused to let Dykes take any of the children, blocking the aisle. And with that, Dykes, fueled by irrational fear and rage, fired five shots, killing Pullen. After that, he took one of the children, this was a five-year-old boy named Ethan Gilman, and fled. Dykes took the child, who was autistic, to a meticulously built bunker, a six-by-eight fortress he had constructed out of anticipation of perceived government threats. The bunker, buried deep in Dykes' property among the trees, then became a prison for young Ethan. In it, he housed homemade bombs. Dykes would go on to call 911 himself and tell them how to communicate with him through a PVC pipe he had installed that reached the surface level. Meanwhile, law enforcement began to gather, working tirelessly to safely retrieve Ethan and neutralize the threat posed by Dykes. For an agonizing week, Dykes and law enforcement engaged in a tense negotiation. The outside world held its breath, praying for Ethan's safe return. Despite the terrifying ordeal, a glimmer of humanity shone through when Dykes allowed law enforcement to deliver Ethan's essential medicine and coloring books through a plastic pipe. You see, Dykes wanted to use the child as a pawn. He wanted news crews to come and for media attention so that he could attempt to share his anti-government grievances with the world. But on February 4th of 2013, the tension reached a fever pitch. Observations confirmed that Dykes was seen wielding a gun, elevating the situation from a tense standoff to an immediate threat. The decision was made then. It was time to act. FBI agents, prepared and ready, stormed the bunker. They breached the top, threw in stun grenades before gunfire echoed across the serene Alabama countryside. When the dust settled, Dykes was dead. And Ethan was saved unharmed physically, a testament to the professionalism and dedication of the rescue team. This incident would go on to spark a nationwide conversation, pushing topics like school safety, mental health, and gun control to the forefront. Amidst the horrific event, a hero was recognized, Charles Poland Jr., 
who sacrificed his life to protect the children on his bus, was posthumously honored by the Congressional Medal of Honor Society, his name forever associated with bravery and selflessness. As for Ethan, he was then reunited with his family. Number three, Sean Hornbeck. In the quiet town of Richwoods, Missouri, tranquility was disrupted by an eerie event that unfolded on October 6th of 2002. Sean Hornbeck, an 11-year-old boy, left his house, hopping onto his bike, heading towards his friend's place, a path he had taken many times before. Little did he know, though, that this ride would lead him into the clutches of a sinister predator, Mike Devlin. Devlin, driving his truck, spotted Sean and bumped into him so he could feign concern. Once outside of the truck, instead of assistance, Devlin shoved the disoriented boy into the back of his truck, uttering chilling words that would haunt Sean for years. You were just at the wrong place at the wrong time. Sean's disappearance triggered a relentless search which turned up little to no leads. His parents, though, Pam and Craig, never gave up and did everything they could to find their boy. Shortly after his kidnapping, to help get the word out, the parents went on the popular Montel Williams show where psychic Sylvia Brown had a crack at helping with the case. But she ended up telling the parents that their son had unfortunately died, even though that wasn't the case at all. The pair would go on to plunge their life savings and retirement funds into the search going so far as to establish the Sean Hornbeck Foundation to find their son and assist other families grappling with similar despair. Days turned into weeks, weeks into months, and months into years, and they never quit. Meanwhile, Sean's life with Devlin was a terrifying ordeal. In an apartment in Kirkwood, he was subjected to brutal physical abuse Constant threats of death was completely isolated from the outside world. After four long years in 2007, Devlin grew tired of Sean, who was now 15. He was too old for his taste and decided it was time to find a younger victim. On January 8th, he kidnapped 13-year-old Ben Ombi, unsuspecting as he waited at the bus stop. This time, however, Devlin didn't go unnoticed. A 15-year-old neighbor saw the harrowing scene unfold and memorized the description of the suspicious white truck. This piece of information proved crucial, leading the FBI straight to Devlin's doorstep. His own demeanor betrayed his secret, appearing nervous and repeatedly referring to his godson, Sean. Realization dawned on the investigators, the long-lost Sean Hornbeck was right there in the very same house. Rescued from their living nightmare, Sean and Ben were returned to their relieved families. Mike Devlin was brought to justice, charged with 80 counts of sexual assault, kidnapping, and attempted murder. Then pled guilty and was sentenced to 72 life terms in prison. Both Ben and Sean are working towards building a semblance of normalcy after the horrors they endured. The Sean Hornbeck Foundation, later closed in 2013, has since been replaced by the Missouri Valley Sean Hornbeck Search and Rescue Team, continuing to fight against child abduction and offering hope 
to many families. Number two, Shannon Matthews. Shannon Matthews was an unassuming nine-year-old girl with shoulder-length brown hair and a slim build. On February 19th of 2008, her mother Karen reported her missing when she didn't return from Westmore Junior School in Dewsbury, England. Karen and her boyfriend, Craig Megan, awaited Shannon's arrival with growing concern that ultimately led to a desperate phone call to the police at 6.48 p.m. This was the start of the most significant missing persons investigation by the West Yorkshire Police since their hunt for the infamous Yorkshire Ripper. It cost the force an astounding 3.2 million pounds. Initial inquiries indicated Shannon had been seen outside her school at 3.10 p.m. After a trip to the Dewsbury Sports Center swimming pool, Shannon had inexplicably chosen not to walk home with friends as usual, but instead walked off alone in a different direction. This simple deviation from routine would set in motion a series of events that had the local community and the nation on edge. Shannon's disappearance rallied the community. Volunteers joined the police in door-to-door inquiries, while flyers printed in multiple languages were distributed throughout the area. Even as temperatures dipped below freezing and fog hindered the search, the determined people of Dewsbury carried on. Unfortunately, the eyewitness accounts and intense efforts provided no significant breakthroughs. Police made an alarming discovery during a search of Shannon's bedroom. A note written in the girl's handwriting revealed her desire to live with her estranged father, Leon Rose. It was an unusual clue that led to more questions than answers, though. As the media shifted their focus to search for Madeline McCain, who had vanished nine months prior, this revelation then took a back seat. As weeks passed, the police force assigned to the case swelled to over 250 officers, 60 detectives, and 16 specialist victim recovery dogs. They searched over 3,000 homes and questioned over 1,500 motorists. However, despite Britain being one of the most electronically scrutinized nations, there was no CCTV footage of Shannon from the day she vanished, further deepening the mystery. On March 14th, 2008, the community's worst fears gave way to an unexpected twist. Shannon was found alive, hidden inside the base of a bed in a flat belonging to Michael Donovan, the uncle of Karen's boyfriend, Craig Megan. Donovan's arrest for kidnapping and false imprisonment seemed to bring an end to the ordeal, but it was the only beginning of a scary revelation. In a shocking twist, Karen was arrested and charged with child neglect and perverting the course of justice. Investigators uncovered a horrific scam here. Karen and Donovan had planned Shannon's disappearance to collect the reward money for her safe return. Shannon, the innocent child at the center of this harrowing ordeal, had been the victim of the very people who should have protected her most. During the trial, it was found out that Karen had been drugging Shannon for up to two years before the planned kidnapping. 
find the defendant. After eight distressing months, both Karen and Donovan were sentenced to eight years in prison for kidnapping, false imprisonment, and perverting the course of justice. After the traumatic events, Shannon was placed into protective care, received therapeutic interventions, and eventually given a new identity to start fresh. Number one, Alicia Kazakowicz. The dawn of the new millennium was a time when the internet was still seen as a harmless virtual playground, but it turned into a nightmare for a young girl named Alicia Kazikowicz. It all began on January 1st, 2002, in the otherwise safe suburbs of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Alicia, only 13 at the time, was like any other teenager fascinated by the endless virtual landscape that was the internet. Going into chat rooms where you could talk to friends or even strangers around the world, people were not as cautious as they are today. They were more impressed by the magic of it all, of truly being connected to the entire world. It was here, though, that she encountered the sinister figure of Scott Tyree, a 38-year-old man from Virginia who was a digital wolf in sheep's clothing. The online chat rooms intended as places for innocent conversations became a hunting ground for this predator and many like him. Over the course of almost a year, the man groomed her in a Yahoo chat room until finally, on a dark winter evening, Alicia was lured from the safety of her home by Tyree, a man she had only known through pixelated words. Trusting and unsuspecting, Alicia stepped out excited to meet in person, not realizing that her life was about to turn into a real-life horror story. Tyree abducted the young girl, driving her across state lines and back to his home in Virginia. The 200 miles that separated Alicia from her house might as well have been a universe away. She was kept captive in his basement, objected to horrifying abuse that Tyree and his disturbing audacity live-streamed to the dark corners of the internet. He shackled her and raped her over the course of four days. But as the tale turned its darkest, a ray of hope emerged. One of the twisted viewers recognized Alicia from a missing persons flyer that had been circulating online and, struck by a bolt of horror and recognition, alerted the FBI. The clock was ticking, Every passing moment, a question of life or death. In a race against time, the FBI traced the origin of the live stream, leading them to Tyree's house. Four days into her captivity, Alicia was finally rescued. Her nightmare coming to a close, but leaving in its wake a haunting memory that would last a lifetime. After this terrifying experience, Alicia turned her trauma into a beacon of hope for others. She became a passionate advocate for internet safety and victims' rights. She founded the Alicia Project, an advocacy group dedicated to educating children and parents about the dangers lurking in the cyberspace shadows. Her captor was sentenced to nearly 20 years in prison, but Alicia's fight continued, her story serving as a stark reminder of the internet's dark underbelly. Even as the world turned more digital, Alicia stood tall, urging everyone to remember the lessons from her ordeal. Remember, behind every screen, 
every harmless-looking chat room could lurk a threat. This digital age may be exciting and full of opportunities, but it's also riddled with dangers. So stay vigilant, stay safe. So there were five victims rescued from horrifying abductions. That was a dark one, but hopefully we all learned a thing or two about just how fast these things can happen to anyone, anywhere. Thanks so much, you guys, for tuning into this bonus episode. I appreciate you all. I'll see you guys soon.